Hello, this is Timmy Black, and welcome again to another episode of The Lives of Contemporary Artists. Well, welcome back. And I mean, welcome back to me, because I just got back. I was on a trip. I just got back from uh, London, and I'm not bragging or anything, but for some reason, uh, I think they I think they love me in the UK. I mean, I get recognized over there. When, when I'm walking on the street, I get, I get recognized, which never happens over here in LA, though I, I don't really spend that much time on the street to begin with. And maybe if I did, maybe if I did walk around the street, like maybe if I got a dog or something, maybe I would get recognized here, who knows. But in London, in London, I get stopped all the time. Anyway, I was in London recently. It was a family thing, really. I have this sister who lives there. My sister's an actress. Maybe you've heard of her. Bonnie Boone. She goes by the name Bonnie Boone. Anyway, she's doing a play over there, and I flew over for an extended weekend to uh, to see it. And and, 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 and and by the way, she was great. And, 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 and the play was also very good. It was... It was a... It was a really cool, updated version of Hedda Gabler, and 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 I, I have to tell you, I love Ibsen. It, in this version, instead of Norway, they've got Hedda and Jorgen living in Vegas, <laughs> and and Jorgen is a professional gambler, and Eilert Lovberg is a croupier, and, and and my sister Bonnie plays Aunt Juju, who in this version is a sort of an aging showgirl. Anyway, it was very interesting, and Bonnie was great. She was great. So I'm in London for this extended weekend, and 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 being London, I I I uh, I went to this pub that I like over there. It's over, it's over in in, in Dalton, just off of uh, Kingsland Road. If you're familiar with the area, it's a place called Philander's Dust. It's 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 a really nice place. It's it's actually pretty famous. They do this. They do this thing where they pair wines with different types of peanut butter sandwiches, which sounds gross, but it's really interesting. You'd be surprised how good it is. Anyway, I'm sitting there with my sister, my sister Bonnie, and we're chatting about this and that, and, and I don't know uh, how it came about, but but uh, but this very elegantly dressed woman who's been sitting next to Bonnie this whole time sort of leans in and in one of those sort of snooty English accents and um excuse me I'll, I'll i'll attempt to imitate it says something like are you two somehow involved in the art well one thing led to another and it it turned out that between the three of us we had quite a few people in common this woman's name her name was oristia or oristia Shestov. And despite her accent, she was actually from the Czech Republic. Anyway, Orestia or Orestia is a fairly well-known art historian who specializes in early 20th century European modernism with a particular focus on feminist theory. Now, I don't know if this is something common in the UK, but through all my years of drinking in bars, I have never struck up a conversation with a perfect stranger 
and ended up talking about Freudian scoptophilia and its impact on German new objectivity between the wars. I mean, mind blown. Now, for those of you who, like me, are not that familiar with the technical terminology of psychological science, basically, scoptophilia describes the pleasure, I had to look this up, the pleasure, the aesthetic pleasure, of looking at something or someone. And more specifically, not just the aesthetic pleasure, but the sexual pleasure. And not simply just looking at things or people, but, well, looking at naked bodies and I, I guess it includes looking at pornography and, and, and looking at, at fetish objects and things like that. Anyway, Dr. Shestoff, as you can imagine, was very stimulating company. I mean, seeing the history of imagery from this perspective is quite extraordinary. I mean, our conversation opened up worlds for me, and it, it gave me a lot to think about, especially regarding the scope of the podcast. As it turns out, Professor Shestoff is currently writing a book, a very ambitious book, a book she hopes will become an art historical paradigm shifter. She, she, she's writing what will probably be the definitive monograph on the American expatriate artist, Fawn Roberts. Now, I'll confess that till now, I, I never really regarded Fawn Roberts as a major figure. I mean, her work is interesting, it's even beautiful, but it always struck me as, well, it always struck me as somewhat derivative, a, 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 a kind of fellow traveler within the school of, of Paris. But in, in, in Dr. Shestoff's rendering, Fawn Roberts turns out to be a fundamental hinge figure, an absolutely essential piece in the genesis of European modernism. And to think that all these years I've marginalized Fawn Roberts as a bit player, <laughs> probably obscured by the awesome male shadow of Picasso, Matisse, Mondrian, Malevich, etc. Dr. Shestov persuaded me to, to reconsider, to, to see the conventional art historical narrative as a biased, priapic, market-driven fairy tale. Now, thanks to this chance meeting at, at an English pub, my entire worldview has, has shifted. Professor Shestov makes an extremely compelling case. Thorne Roberts has been diminished, dismissed by an academic hierarchical perversion that privileges male artists and male art historians and ultimately distorts our understanding of the development of, of, of advanced painting in France during the 1920s. This is huge. Let me compose myself and, and, and fill you in on a few biographical details. 
Fawn Roberts, that's Fawn, F-A-U-N, Fawn Roberts, was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut in 1882. I've written these notes down, so if it sounds like I'm reading things, maybe it's because I am. Her her father, uh, Arthur Cannon Roberts, was a Pentecostal pastor. He was well-known at the time, especially for incorporating periods of fasting into his religious practice. He, he was also known for his talent for preaching these eschatological visions of fires and, and floggings and mid-tribulation rapture. Now apparently Fawn, even as a child, was skeptical of her father's nutty talking in tongues, his glassolilic bleedings that his congregation found so terrifying and foreboding. Among her siblings, she had six. She, she, she thought she was thought of as a problem child. She was a, she was a scrawny, introverted, poetry-writing teenager, and, and very early on, she knew that she had a strong and passionate attraction to both art and to girls. In 1902, Fawn Roberts left home for good. She boarded the SS La Touraine for Marseille and never set foot in America again. Now at this point in this incredible story, it would be well within your rights to be incredulous. You might even think that, that, that I invented the whole thing out of whole cloth. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to stop right here. And I'll give you time to look her up, to look up Fawn Roberts. Fawn Roberts, F-A-U-N, Fawn Roberts, R-O-B-E-R-T-S. Look her up. You draw your own conclusions. And next time, next time we meet, I'll continue with part two of this episode. Continue the story, and you'll find out why Roberts's radical reversal of the male gaze so confounded conventional avant-garde expectations that there was a concerted effort among French cultural critics to actually suppress her work. Until then, let me remind you that here we hold nothing back in our dedicated effort to shed a bright light upon the lives of contemporary artists.